Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. your Bibles, if you could open up to Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22. If you've been here for the last three Sundays, how many of you has this by accident series called Stretch? How many of you have been blessed by Stretch? Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Um, I know I have, and, um, and I know I'm still, I'm still dealing with myself, and God is still dealing with me. My wife reminds me, uh, and she, and not in a bad way. Um, but she will tell me, you know, look how you're acting, look how you're reacting, better said. And, and, and I recognize that God has so much work to do in me. I haven't attained it yet. But remember this preaching? But I'm on my way. And um, if we could just think like that, I know there's going to be a beautiful, bright future for all of us. I believe God has amazing and great things laying before us. How many of you believe that for real? In the midst of craziness, darkness, God has something special waiting for us. And if it's eternity, eternity is good with me, amen? I'm going to continue, I guess, on stretched. And um, if I'm going to title this message anything, it's going to be stretch part three. Yeah, I get that, but it's going to be called reckless faith. You can write that down in your notes, reckless faith. I'm going to try to contain and take care of my throat today. I've been practice, I'm, trying to, I'm going to try to practice to speak to you and only get excited when I feel I have to get excited. But if you ever um, come across someone and maybe a child and have you ever looked at someone or, or, or even the days that we live in and you just look at someone and say, my goodness, that person is just reckless. You ever said that to anyone? Reckless? When you think about the word reckless, it doesn't always have a positive um, tone to it, Right? This message is a blessing because I, I've been able to tweak it a little bit, but I've actually was able to share this message six years ago in a church getaway that I preached at, in one of our church getaways retreats. And um, I knew we were speaking about faith, and I started to look at, relook at it. I touched it up, and um, God just spoke this word again to me. And um, we went into the archives, and we found it, and praise God. And I'm going to share about reckless faith again today. Reckless is an interesting word. Think about the word reckless. Why are you calling faith reckless? Well, think about the definition. Here it is. Without thinking or caring about the consequences of an action. Reckless driving, for example, right? You've used that when you say, oh, my gosh, he's a reckless driver. You've used that. So you think about reckless, it's without caution. It's careless. That's what reckless means. I was able to share last Wednesday, the Wednesday that just passed, we had an amazing midweek, and we... I kind of went into the introduction of this message. So if you missed it, it wasn't recorded, but we went into the introduction of reckless faith, and I went into that. I don't want to go into it again. But I do believe that reckless faith should be the standard of faith in our lives. It should be it. That's what we should long for, a reckless faith. And this is what I believe God is calling this church and me and us to as he's stretching us as we've been um, being poured into that in the last three weeks. We've learned something here in the last three weeks, and this is what we've learned We've learned that faith comes from God. Every single person in here has been given a measure of faith, right? We learned that. We read that scripture. But how many of you know this? 
Like every single one of you, you're standing, you're moving, you could pick up water bottles because every single one of you have been given a measure of muscles. Some of your muscles are bigger than other people's muscles. We get that. We understand that. But have you recognized that in order to grow your muscles, you got to exercise your muscles? Guys, every single one of us has been given a measure of faith. And in order to grow that faith, what do we have to do? we got to exercise that faith. Do you guys get that? We all have faith. How many of you can say amen? amen. But in, the, in order for your faith to grow, there's got to be that process of exercising your faith. What does that mean? Oh, man. Jump into the water. Test it. Lord, if, you're, if it's you, call me out of this boat and w- let me walk to you. Come, Peter. Peter starts walking on water. Exercise your faith. And you'll see that your faith will grow. It comes from God. It's a gift to us from the Lord. I think we will all come to agreement after two weeks, right? Right? This is a church that talks back. In Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, just to remind you, I didn't, I didn't read this one to you the last two weeks, but I'll read it to you today not to continue to repeat stuff. But look what it says here. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and not from yourselves, but it is the gift of God. That's an important passage. By grace you have been saved through faith, not from ourselves. So this faith that we've been saved through, it's not even from ourselves, but it's a gift from God, Paul says in Ephesians. So God has given us a gift, and it's a gift of faith, and I love this, in order to reach him. I shared with Wednesday's group at midweek, I said, man, when I look at faith now, I I see it as a ladder. We're like, God, I want you. And he's like, come up the ladder called faith. I've placed faith there so you could reach me. I've given you the ladder so that you could get to me. And how many of you could praise God for a ladder called faith that allows you to reach him and reach his goodness? I can. Amen. So one of the things that I want to share with you is a lot of little points that I'm going to share today in reckless faith. But one of the things is if we're in covenant with Christ, we see that there is a faith that is involved in covenant. For example, my wife and I, we are married, obviously, my wife and I. And in our marriage, there has to be a faith. In, in, in however crazy I might be driving her or vice versa, whatever good, whatever bad, whatever ups, whatever downs, there's one thing that could never be shifted. And that is that there is a faith in our lives. I trust her. She trusts me. The minute that we lose that trust, my gosh, do we have to work on our marriage and start from point one again, if we could even get to point one again, right? One of the greatest things that we have in, my, in our marriage is that there's a trust, that there is a faith. So what does that mean? That I could be hours away from her. And yet she could put a trust that I'm being faithful. Does everyone understand that? That she could be miles away from me and I haven't seen her in hours or in days, let's say, which that doesn't happen unless we're on a trip or something. And yet I could have a trust and a faith that she is faithful. And that comes from something called covenant. Does everyone understand that? The word covenant means a pact or an agreement. And on the day that my wife and I made a pact, an agreement, a covenant, We've recognized that wherever life takes us, there's one thing for sure that we never walk away from. And that is our trust in one another and never losing that trust. Does everyone get that? Now, if I have that with my spouse, should we not have that with our God? Because the Bible says what me and my wife are is what Christ in the church is. That's all we are. 
We are an image of what Christ in the church is. And that's what we are to represent. So I really want you to understand this reckless faith today. You know, when, when you think about this faith and this covenant that faith comes with, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it's a, it's a very interesting little segment of scripture there that I just want to remind you of. And it says this, look unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Does everyone see that? He is the, he is the, pen, he, the penmanship. It's, it's in his hand. He writes it. He writes the story once upon a time to the point where he reaches and he says the end. Everything is written from the beginning to the end and covered by the hand, by the writing of Christ. He is the author. He is the finisher. He is the beginning and he is the end of our faith. Amen. Now, reckless faith, being in covenant with Christ, or like I'm talking about marriage with my wife, we cannot expect to have a faith that is reckless. In covenant with Christ, if we're not in covenant and married to him, faith that is growing in us comes from a relationship with Jesus. For example, I pray that my faith in my wife has grown in our seventh year of marriage than it was in our first year of marriage. The same way I pray that my faith in Christ has grown today more than it did yesterday. Does everyone understand me? Why should it grow more today than it did yesterday? Because I saw where, he, where I once was at and where he had me yesterday. And I see where he took me from and where he has me today. So what does that do to the believer? Oh, shoot, I get it. Today, I'll live in faith and I'll trust God that again, he will supply my every need according to his riches and glory. I understand it. I understand that. It comes from a relationship, from a marriage, from a covenant with Christ. I love what one preacher says. He says, we've experienced Jesus as Savior. We've experienced Jesus as King. We've experienced Jesus as Healer. We've experienced Jesus as Redeemer. But it is time that the church experiences Jesus as Husband. Faith, it comes with this covenant, man. It grows in this covenant. I'm going to continue with my wife and just pick on her. She deserves to get picked on, but she's about to give birth. And um, so she deserves to get picked on. But my wife, when you think about her, she didn't receive what comes from me when we were dating. And, and if a relationship is receiving what a marriage relationship receives, and they're not married, then there's something wrong with that relationship. Okay? They're not doing it right. Don't see how God could really be looking down at that and said, I'm so happy in your relationship. Though you're acting like you're married, but you're not really not married. But whatever, let's, we'll, we'll teach that another day. But when I'm married to my wife, it, it comes, something special happens when me and her get married and, and we leave the dating and the courting and we now become one. Because I recognize that I receive from her and she receives from me things that I can only offer her if I'm her husband and she could only offer me if she's my wife. You, do you guys understand that? It's deeper than just going to watch a movie together and take her back home to mom and dad. And I, my, my wife and my relationship now is different when we are in covenant. My wife, 
doesn't receive from me um, things when we are courting from now when we are married. But on the day that we signed the paper, the day we walked down the aisle, the way we did things right before the Lord, something special happened. We learn and we see what Scripture teaches us that two now leave father and mother and the two become one. Amen. She becomes my wife. I become her husband. And something special happened to my wife. Something that I take by heart. And, it, and, it, and it's not like I'm all manly. I'm not even like to ask my wife. I'm not that kind of person. But it's just real cool to see someone who doesn't bear your last name automatically. Now their name is your name. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? So now Nancy goes from having her name, Nancy Vento, her whole life. And from one moment to the next, we become one. She signs a paper. I become her husband. Her name is changed. And now she carries my last name. It's very interesting when you think about that. Every bill that she gets, everything that is under her name, she carries my last name. There's a lot of symbolism there. There's, there's a picture of union there. There's a picture of covenant there. There's a pact there. And I've recognized that both our bank accounts became one bank account. Married people, you guys know what I'm talking about. And, and now we share that. We're in a team together. My wife goes to buy something. Hey, do we have this much money? Can I buy it? We come in agreement. I say yes sometimes. Very rarely I'll say no. Um, it's just, it's just we, we, we work together. We, we are in one team. We share all things together. Those are things that in courting we never did. Her receiving from me changed. And me receiving from her. And the reason why is because we entered covenant and she entered covenant. And I love this because it's a, it's a beautiful picture of when the bride meets the groom. Something happens deep within. And when we enter covenant, we see that the bride begins to receive what she's never received before. Because there are some things in a relationship and in covenant that you can't get until you come into that union, into that pact, into that agreement, until husband and wife is affirmed. Amen? And I believe this, what, why are you talking about this? This is why I'm talking about all this. Ready? Here it is. Because I believe that there are so many people living in this world with the name tag of Christianity that want to live a life of faith and reckless faith, but yet they don't want the covenant with Christ. Does that make sense? It's almost like saying, I want everything that a woman can give me, but don't ask me to get married. Huh. I want everything that a man can give me, but outside of marriage. Do you guys see how biblically that's not right? I feel like you guys are disagreeing with me today. <laughs> I'm getting a little scared that you're not standing with me biblically on this. <laughs> okay, so watch this. A reckless faith is very important. Because how is my faith going to be reckless and, 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 and stretched and grown in Christ if I don't want to, listen now, if I don't want to go deep in Christ? If, if I don't want to be stretched in Christ? If I don't want to make Christ my love? If I don't want to make Christ my all, what scripture shows us, Christ as husband? And if we don't make Jesus husband, how will we ever function in a faith that is reckless? In a faith that is amazing and wild. So I believe this as I get into this. We are to commit. We are to sign the paper. Today we are to say, I do. I want to be stretched. I'm going to commit myself to Christ. He's my husband. I'm going to confirm my faith today in Christ. How many of you can say amen?
That's right there, man. Uh, you know what? Let's just get into this. Ready? Go to Genesis chapter 22. We've gone over this for the last two weeks, but I've spoken it. We haven't read it yet. And today, I'm going to decide to read it. We kind of went backwards there. We spoke it, and today we read it. We spoke about Abraham, this hero and father of faith, which I can't go into. You've got to listen to our last two podcasts to get an understanding of what we're about to enter today. But in chapter 22, we're going to read verses 1 through 14. Let's do that, huh? It's the story of when um, he's about to um, sacrifice his son. Remember we spoke about that the last two weeks? But let's read it today because we've just spoken about it. Let's read it. It says, Now it came to pass that after these things, God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Does everyone see what he's doing? He's taking that in which he loves to a mountain to offer up an offering. Does everyone get that? And I will tell you there. Ready? Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and he went to the place in which God had told him. Verse 4. On the third day. Everyone say third day. Yeah. Abraham lifted his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad, my son and I, will go yonder and worship, and we'll come back. We're going to take a little walk. We're going to have some fellowship. We're going to go worship the Lord. We're going to give an offering. We're going to come right back. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac. Wait, did I skip? Oh, I'm good. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. Verse 7, but Isaac spoke to Abraham. And he said, my father, can you imagine this? My son, Jackson, dad, um, here I am, your son, and here's the fire and there's the wood, but, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Something's missing here. So Abraham said, my son, I, I really want everyone to, to say this with me. Ready? God will provide. One, two, three. Say it one more time. I just want you to believe that for yourself. I want you to really get that for yourself. God will provide. But I love this. Ready? Because when God provides for us in his perfect will, who is he really providing for? Well, let's read the scripture. God will provide for what? Because all our lives are an offering unto the Lord. Because all our lives are glory unto the Lord. So when God provides for us, isn't it for the glory of God anyways? So our provision in our lives is actually for his glory in heaven. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a preaching. I'm, I'm going to preach that one day. But it says here next, it says, Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there. So he prepared. Everyone say prepared. prepared. He prepared an altar there, and he placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar upon the wood. There's a problem here, guys. Isaac is not the lamb. I don't know if you've caught that already. He's not the lamb. He's the son. And Abraham stretched. I don't know. You can just take that as you want. Out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. Do you know 
how much faith you need to have to stretch out your hand with a knife to kill your son or to sacrifice your son, knowing that God's still going to provide? Like, I would have failed as a dad. I don't know how Abraham did it. Like, that, just send me to hell. <laughs> I, don't know. I, don't know how to, I don't know how to offer up my son, but just send me to hell because there's no, and I'm not going back to my wife, and where is my son? Kind of offered him up to the Lord. It was all God's will. You know, it's just not happening with me. Just send me to hell. But he stretches his hand, stretched. But do you remember what he told the people a couple miles down the mountain? He said what? My, la- the, my son and I are going to go walk around and worship, and we will return back to you. And on the altar, he's stretching to sacrifice his son. Let me tell you what I think has happened here. Ready? That stretch is actually confirmed in what he told his servants and saying, we're going to come back. Even in the point of his stretch, he had faith to know, I know I'm moments away from offering up my son with a dagger, but I know that in the moment that I'm about to release the dagger into his chest, God's going to speak a word and provide, even if it's in the last moment. I love that God provides, not necessarily when you think he should provide. I love that God provides when he knows he needs to provide. You see, if you and I were walking up the mountain, we would have thought that he needed to provide while we were walking up the mountain. If you and I were building an altar, you and I would have thought that he needed to provide while we were building the altar. If you and I were lighting the fire, you and I would have thought that he needed to provide while we were lighting up the fire. If you and I put our son on the, on, as a sacrifice on the altar, you and I would have thought that right then and there is where God should have provided. But the provision of the Lord happened only when the Lord knew it fit and it was time for him to provide for Abraham. And all that stretching with the knife to the chest all started with with a confession down the mountain that says, God will provide my son, and hey, my son and I will come back to you shortly. Amen. Abraham wasn't always like that, but he was this time. <laughs> because just a couple years ago, remember last week or two weeks ago? Babe, you're hot, you're smoking, you're beautiful. The kings want you as their women, as their wife. So this is what you're going to do. They're going to kill me. Tell them you're my sister. Two times, two kings had her in the room to lay with her. Two times, God had to interrupt those kings and say, if you touch her, you will die and your children will die. Give her back to Abraham, for that's his wife, not his sister. Let me tell you what happened there. Ready? His faith in Genesis chapter 20, what is it, 22, was different than his faith. In the other chapters. Why? Because he saw where God had him and took him out of from and where he was today. And when God now, listen to me. That was probably the hardest test that Abraham had to ever go to. And if you're a parent, you understand that. Some of you are like, yeah, I can tell someone that hey, my wife is my sister. But to sacrifice my son. That's a whole other extreme, some of you might say. So, so what happened was this, at his hardest, at his strongest, at his most difficult moment, Abraham holded fast to what he believed in. Abraham had failed God so many times in the past, and he saw the outcome of his failure already. How many of you remember two weeks ago, he had to pick up an Ishmael because of his problem. He laid with Hagar when he should have never laid with Hagar, and he had an Ishmael. And I think that when he grabbed his knife to kill his son, I think he remembered Ishmael while he was doing it. 
If I'm not obedient in this, who knows what else could come out of this? So his faith was stretched. His faith had grown. Because Abraham knows what it is to almost lose his family, to almost get a divorce. His wife was about to walk out on him. They were about to have a divorce. But now God speaks to Abraham in this chapter. And he said, yes, Lord, whatever you say, I failed you before, but I'm not going to do this again. And I believe Abraham at this point of his life was so desperate to show God that now, man, just call me one more time. Call me one more time. And I'm going to show you how obedient I am now. How many of you are at a point, maybe you're not there yet, but you will, that you're at a point in your life that you just want God to call your number one more time. And you're going to show the world and show him how obedient you are to the call. One more time, God. One more time. If there's one more opportunity where I could just hear God call my name and I'm going to say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. Here I am. Here I am. How many of you have that in your belly today, down in your soul? Here I am. Here I am. Send me, Lord. Here I am. You sure? Enemies are going to come behind you. You're going to walk across the sea. You're going to, I mean, armies are going to engulf around. You sure? I'm sure. Here I am. Man, there's so many things I want to say, but i got to get into my message. But here I am. And on the third day, Abraham, here he is ready to offer his son. Third day, Abraham builds the altar, prepares an altar, places his son on it, raises the knife to slay his son. But moments before that, he looks at his son. He says, my son, my son, my son, God will provide. Just, you don't have to scream it. Just whisper it. God will provide. Come on. God will provide. God will provide. God will provide. Adrian, come here. You could be my son today. You look a little like me today. Adrian was my student. He drove me nuts. No, he didn't. But, 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 but my, you're taller than me, man. That's not good. My son, God will provide. Can you imagine this? Come on. Dad. What is weird? <laughs> what, son? Where's the lamb? God will provide. Son, I need you to lay down. Dad, that's kind of weird, man. I know. I, I don't know if you understand this because what's happening here is this. I believe that... Abraham got to a point with God in his faith that he was going to poke at Abraham with the thing that God knew was most precious to Abraham. And he wanted to see that even in that which was most precious, if he was still going to trust that he is still the provider. And God understands that kind of stuff. Let me tell you why. Because all this right here is a picture of what he was about to do. And he knew that he was going to sacrifice his son. And I know that Jesus one day told God the Father one day in a garden called Gethsemane, Father, if it is your will, pass this cup from me. Dad, where's the lamb? Pass this cup from me, but nevertheless, let not my will be done, but your will be done. God will provide. God the Father knew what it was to offer up his son because he knew it was going to come in the near future. And now here he is touching a man on earth called Abraham. Touching an area in his life, I love this, where it first, where it first touched God's heart. Do you understand 
that whatever you're lacking in life, whatever you're having doubts of and you lack faith in, that's already touched God's heart before it ever touches your heart. You think this thing to Abraham and Isaac was new? God knew exactly what was going on there. God knew exactly what the feeling was. But God gave the promise to him that he was going to provide. Will you, do, let me ask you, church, a question. You're being stretched, right? Do you believe that God will provide even with the thing that is most difficult for you to surrender to him? Thank you, bro. Give him a hand. He did good. God will provide. He got the revelation. Listen to what I'm about to tell you here. Here it is, guys. I used to say this, and I changed my wordage. I used to say that faith is born on the altar. I changed it. I believe now, because I'm older than when I first preached this. Here it is. That faith is grown on the altar. It's grown on the altar. We can't say we have a reckless faith and continue to live in doubt. We're called the faithful. Often, right? We're the faithful. But how often are we faithless? Me, me, I'm talking about myself now. No faith manifesting. We call ourselves the just. And we say, and we quote scripture, we say that the just live by faith. But yet, we live by sight and not by faith. Anyone could say amen with me? Talking about myself now. I'm not putting any of you against the wall. But we seem to be more conflicted in our lives as those of the faith. And how many of you have recognized I seem to be more conflicted than others who have no faith? Or not of the faith. So many of us live so frustrated. And I know your frustration. I know exactly what you're talking about here. We tell mountains to move, but we haven't seen any mountains moved. Anyone been there? See how, see how honest we could get in church? This is good stuff, man. We could actually be honest here. We could pray for revival. How many of you have prayed for that word? Revival. It's such, a, such an awesome term, right? Revival. Revival. We call things revival services. We call things revival. But yet nothing's moving. There's nothing happening. And I say this today. I, I say, how about if this stretching that we've been talking about for the last three weeks is actually about God growing a reckless faith in us that is willing to go to the altar. Listen to this because this is what he's doing to us. Come on. He's doing this to our church today. I believe this. Not to ask from him on the altar but to give to him on the altar. Man, see, see, that's right there. That's the message right there. Because many of us come to the altar to say, well, God, this is what I need. This is what I want. Here's my paper. God looks at us and says, but that's not even what the altar was meant for. The altar is not meant to receive. The altar was meant to give. My wife's here and she's, I'm going to ask my wife to come up because I believe that every marriage needs 
No, I'm being serious. I believe every marriage needs healing. And me and my wife, our marriage even needs to get better. How many of you can say amen? So I'm going to ask my wife to come up here for a second. So she's walking down the aisle. And I waited for her seven years ago on a sandy beach. And we made sure that she didn't have a belly before that. And I came up here, and our pastor made us do all these things and say all these things, and then we gave each other a first kiss and all that stuff. But you know how many times we come up to the altar and we do this on the altar? And we have a mindset of, this is so that I can receive. When in reality, this whole thing right here was about, this is so that I can give. How many of us have come to the altar? Forget your spouses for right now, because I don't want you to, see? Because <laughs> <I'm, laughs> it's going to happen. But how many of us have done this with God? I'm in the altar, God. So this is what you're going to give me, right? Oh. How about the altar was actually nothing about what you could receive, but everything now that you could give to him, even if it's Isaac, your beloved son, that you care the most about. You willing to go to the altar and give that? <laughs> Did you notice that on the altar when it was built, there was no lamb given yet? What was given first? Isaac was given. Do you want to know how God received that? Do you want to know how God receives the giving? You answer the rest of the story. What happens at the rest of the story? Stop. Don't stab him. Look to the corner where the fence is. What was there? A what? God will provide. Because you offered and you gave to me on the altar, I will always show you that I will provide and in return, I will always give you what you need. Stretched. Stretched. There is a faith that grows on the altar, but you got to live giving, not always receiving. Come on. That's it. That's it. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach the rest of this message next week. I'm going to preach the next message next week.